tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, quick note before we dive in. Today's episode contains descriptions of physical violence, of abuse, and as such may not be appropriate for all audience members. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Shout out to our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Give him a hand. Give him two. Give him three. You know. And give him another woo. Give him another woo. Yeah. He is... (laughs) <laughs> we are actively wooing you, Max. Uh, I am Ben. Uh, Noel, you and I are very excited because we got we got our stuff together and managed to make a two-parter ahead of time about bizarre behind-the-scenes stories from the worlds of film. And we are immensely fortunate to have returning guests in today's episode, right? Yeah, uh, self-proclaimed idiot alumni of Stanford <laughs> University, uh, Leanna Holston and Sienna Jekyll, the hosts of the Tossed Popcorn podcast. I didn't make that up. That's in your uh, in your That's bio. That's official. Oh, yeah. no, I forget it's that we true. have just published that publicly. But it is it is right. What is up, my boys? Hello. Oh, <laughs> Hello. Man, so good to have you back. Um, it's actually you. so peek behind the curtain behind the episode about the peek behind the curtain. We usually <laughs> record these kind of back to back, but it's actually been a couple of days. Um, mm-hmm. So we've had time to kind of marinate on what we talked about in the last episode and are super excited uh, to talk about two new bizarro Hollywood tales. Oh, yeah. And may I quickly before I forget, um, yes. Sienna and I actually are going to be starting a celebrity feud and we're very happy to be announcing that on your show. Oh, wow. And it is with friend of your pod and co-host of a different pod with you, the one, the only Matt Frederick. Um, Oh, what did he do? 
So this was, gosh, August of last year. Is that right, Sienna? I, I can say yes. That sounds sure. sure. <laughs> we were on an okay. iHeart All Staff call introducing ourselves, and uh, he suggested that he was going to start a rival podcast called Caught Popcorn, in which he mm-hmm. gives a response to each of our episodes as, as a <laughs> self-proclaimed <laughs> film buff. And we said, no, oh, haha, ha, very funny, Matt Frederick. This is the beginning of a lovely and beautiful friendship. We followed him on Instagram. It has been seven months. No follow has occurred from him back to us. So, Matt Frederick, we're calling you out, man. He will have to tell him. He's not a social media guy. In his defense, he is absolutely not a social media. It's like to the point where when Ben and I call out our personal socials on the uh, podcast with that we do with Matt, he just makes up a new fake one every time. Um, <laughs> very private guy, so don't take it personally. But we'll definitely uh, yeah. pass along the beef. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm texting him now. Let's see if we, oh, we'll, we'll, oh, we may have an update after this. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for being our proxies for this feud. <laughs> starting a celebrity feud with you. <laughs> I right do think now. caught popcorn is cute though, because you, you guys is. toss it and then he catches yeah. it presumably know. You know, in his in his mouth or with his face. <laughs> All right, so just just shot that light to him. We'll get an update if he if he chimes back in. Um, I don't know about you, Noel, but I one hundred percent support this feud. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? I mean? But he's got. But there has to be a podcast first for the feud to truly exist. Mm-hmm. I think. I think a beef about not following back on Instagram is a little. A little too minor. Like we need to get him to get the podcast up and running, and then you guys can truly be rivals in the space. In starting this feud, we've accidentally gifted him another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> just what he needs. Yeah, just what He's he got needs. So much free time. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, feuds today, but do tune in to part one of this episode, which came out uh, earlier last week, I think, on a Thursday, and. Uh, you'll want to you want to check out some amazing stories there. Things that will change the way that you think of the Wizard of Oz. I'm trying to say that diplomatically, uh, <laughs> and uh, and you'll learn uh, you'll learn the story of an amazing an amazing journey from surviving the actual Titanic wreck to being in the first movie about the Titanic. Like literally, what was it, Noel? A week later. Yeah, they really fast tracked that one. Uh, right. Classic Hollywood fashion, uh, and uh, did not go well. Well, I mean, it went well in terms of the the movies being successful, but not for the uh, the woman who starred in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll learn all about that in part one. Uh, so we're gonna pause for the magic of podcasting. Let you catch up. Perfect. All right. You're caught up. So we're diving back in. Uh, We're so glad that you're here with us today, folks. Uh, I was also quite excited about uh, this first story we're going to explore. Sienna, you have dug up some fascinating and maybe not entirely wholesome things about the legendary comedic actor, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, Correct. Speaking of women being screwed over. From the last podcast, it's, it's coming up again. Yes. Oh, from the last podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, thought yeah. you leaning into the I beef. Know. I don't All think right. we were specific. Okay. Oh no. Okay. Oh, no, 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 that's no, you. Like, oh my god. Oh wow. <laughs> Start this feud for women's rights. <laughs> Let us fight, Matt. Please. <laughs> got a mean left hook. I'd be careful, but um, yeah. I mean, Charlie Chaplin. I mean, I've mentioned before. I think when we weren't recording that I have a pretty big blind spot in my film knowledge uh, around Charlie Chaplin movies. I don't know that I've seen a single one ever all the way through. I've just seen like little clips, you know, of him like puttering around like a you know wind up doll, wind up toy. Yeah. Um, 
City Lights was one of the movies on the list, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the silent movie acting. And after this research, I feel differently about Charlie Chaplin. Aww. <laughs> Which this is... is um, this is funny because the structure of our show, normally I am the one who does the historical context segment. So I'll come into the podcast being like, I don't know about this movie. And Sienna's usually like, it was so silly and fun. It was so fun. <laughs> and now it's it's so fun to have this sort of switched. Yeah. Now I get why you weren't a big fan because, woo, he is. Uh-huh. Another Hollywood boy. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was originally actually going to talk about City Lights. I was going to talk about the scene that took him 342 takes to get perfectly. But actually, in researching Charlie Chaplin, I instead am going to talk about his 1927 divorce from his teenage wife, Lita Gray. <laughs> oh, no. Teenage? Yes. <laughs> red flags. It flag. is juicy. Yes. Red flags. A lot of red flags <laughs> about All Charlie around. Chaplin. Are you guys, are you ready? To hear about it? I'm braced. I'm, yeah, well, hang on. Let me sip some coffee. <laughs> okay, I'm braced. Charlie Chaplin, as we know, Sir Charles Spencer Chaplin is the name he was born with. First name, Sir. Born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was born in 1889 in London. And honestly, the year he was born is going to be the part that's most important to this. But just mm. so you know, he was an extremely famous and successful silent filmmaker, silent film actor. He was famous for his character, The Little Tramp. And of course, he ended up coming to the United States and making lots of movies here. And while he was here, he met a young woman named Lita Gray. So actually, when they met, she was six years old, which... Oh! (laughs) Just a rough start to think. Yeah. Grooming. (laughs) Grooming, that's the word. Excuse me. Um, Stars. No, no, they just happened to meet at that time, but it's just sort of like an eerie beginning to this story that they ended mm-hmm. up getting married. Yeah. They met briefly at a restaurant. So Lita Gray is from Hollywood, born in 1908. Uh, she met Chaplin briefly at a restaurant when she was six years old. And then when she was 12 years old, he was casting the movie The Kid, I- ironically called The Kid, <laughs> which um, <laughs> she was not The Kid. She was a cast at that time, uh, as the role of flirting angel. No. Which is as bad as it sounds. I actually watched a little <laughs> bit. And it is. Oh, uh, no. It was just a, it was just a different time. Um, uh, but as we will find, this was also uh, bad then, too. Fun fact about the movie The Kid, that actually, the child actor who did play the so-called The Kid um, uh-huh. went on to be the child actor who sued his parents and got legal protections for child actors in general in California. Oh, wow. With the California Child that actor, kid. Actors Bill. Yeah. So anyway, the kid is was bad for child actors all around. Moving on, after that, Chaplin and Gray met again when he was testing actresses for the upcoming movie, The Gold Rush, which ended up coming out in 1925. He was looking for a brunette lead actress. So Lita Gray went out for the role. Side note, fun fact, to insert some some fun stuff into this uh, (laughs) disturbing story. Thank you. (laughs) Um, The Gold Rush is the film in which Charlie Chaplin cooks and eats his shoe. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's funny. That's a funny bit. I bet audiences love that. Mm-hmm. I watched it and it was it was indeed funny. Unfortunately, at this time, so during casting, Chaplin and Gray begin an, an affair. At this time, she is 15 years old. Mm. Believe it or not, that was also bad at the time. Because <laughs> shortly after, shortly after their affair begins, she becomes pregnant. Oh, God. And, and they have to get married because he would be arrested. Uh, a little more on that. But first I'll say something interesting is that Lita Gray was originally cast as the lead in The Gold Rush. But after she started showing her pregnancy, he removed her from the film and replaced her with Georgia Hale, who ended up playing the, the So lead actively, like, covering it up, essentially, right? Yes, yes. Already covering it up. But they had already started shooting. And as I said, I was originally going to talk about another thing where they did a million takes to get this one scene. I just don't understand how films used to work in the past because it seems like <laughs> film would have been expensive and hard to oh, yeah. take. <laughs> but <laughs> Chaplin, in many of these stories that I've been reading about about him, he just is really willy-nilly with, uh, with the film here. I wonder if it was just because he was at such a high level, kind of like as a star, that they, you know, would afford him kind of that yeah. in the budget. Yeah. Like we know if we get Charlie Chaplin, we got to have like canisters and canisters of film. like for <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. He really just uh, went through it. So anyway, they shot a lot of it, ended up cutting that and putting a whole new actress in. I don't know also how he covered that up at the time. But anyway, so she becomes pregnant. The reason they get married is because they had to at the time, so he wouldn't be arrested. But he offered to pay for an abortion for her. She said no. Her family was so mad, understandably. Gray's mom threatened to turn him into the police if he didn't marry her. Other sources said that his family threatened to either ruin his career or kill him if he didn't (laughs) marry her. Wow. And she also says that... uh, it also is said that a family member took his shotgun off the wall and marched to Chaplin's mansion and said, you got to marry my relative. I don't know what family member. Literal shotgun wedding. That's oh my yeah. God. Exactly. Can I, Sienna, can I ask you a, a question? Please. Uh, which is, why does him marrying her make it all better like what what about i was gonna the ask about the age of, of consent too like because mm. i mean it's a you know this was a long time ago and it ranges from 14 to 18 historically but i just wonder oh, like yeah. what the actual law was and mm. um yeah i should have that information and i don't have the answer <laughs> <laughs> is that something i should look up right now yeah, i mean it doesn't matter it, i think it probably uh plays in in some some respect but i mean like because uh, the affair maybe wasn't as big a deal as the pregnancy at the time. And then mm-hmm. that's when maybe the law comes into play where it's like, oh, you have to marry this person. Because, I mean, those things were definitely a little more strict back then. Even, like, having a baby out of wedlock was a huge deal. Right. Oh, right. yeah. And it would, could ruin the life of the child, right, in, mm-hmm. in society right. at the time. So, yeah, I can totally see some, like, moral or blue laws being around that, uh, like circling around that, uh, and I think just as importantly, the the fact that he is a world class celebrity, and the fact that there is enormous social pressure on on women in general in American society. It sounds like this was kind of a loveless marriage, though, right? Like we've yes. fooled around, and now 
we're getting married for literally legal purposes. Mm, exactly. He definitely did not want to marry her, nor she him, it sounds like. Great question, because we're about to get to the fun part, believe it or not, of this story. <laughs> this is all... Oh, is it okay if I jump in real quick? I actually have some age consent numbers for us. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. nice. Max with the facts. So I looked up the age of consent by history in California. So in 1850, it would have been legal because that at that time period, it was 10 years old. For Jesus age consent in California. 10 like but, wow. human years. <laughs> but oddly enough, if the woman was the younger party. So if the male was nine and the woman was 10, it was legal. Uh, I mean, correction was if the woman was nine and the man was eight, it was legal. But Vice if versa. the woman was, yeah, yeah. Wow. but in 1897, it became 16, and by 1913, it was moved up to 18. So, yeah, this is very, wow. very legal by this point. Wow. Wow. Oh, buddy. Oh, my. Okay. Where, where's that my good news? Yeah, come on. Fun part, please. Wow. <laughs> the bar is so low, though. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so much higher than 10. Like, I know. Yeah. yeah. 16 is amazing. That's, <laughs> that's so, so good. good. Okay. The reason the fun stuff is coming is because we're going to get to the divorce. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. 
Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Such a bummer that Lita was groomed. I mean, bummer. <laughs> um, sure. But she holds her own once the divorce comes around. Um, okay, so uh, Ben, you're so right. The The marriage was bad vibes. They didn't enjoy each other. They had different interests. Mainly he, you know, liked to be making movies and she wanted to learn to drive, I assume. And then he he spent his time just pouring himself into the gold rush, the movie The Gold Rush, and the movie The Circus um, in this time. So they were married in 1924. Oh, I apologize. I forgot to mention they were married in Mexico to quote unquote oh. avoid scandal. Okay. So okay. I, oh, obviously okay. we've they all didn't done want that. To be a, they didn't want it to be a big public thing. Um, so they're married in 1924. They're married from 1924 to 1927. And during those three years, they had two sons and they didn't like each other. Like you said. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, Imagine those wedding vows. Just gorgeous. Yeah. That's um, a that's a more of a I guess than an I do. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. have to. Exactly. <laughs> Also, to be clear, when they got married, Chaplin was 35 and Lita was 16. So, uh, yikes. Um, still, that's... So, goodness. I'm making a Marge Simpson noise. Sorry. <laughs> no, please. Marge is the only way to get through this portion of the story. Um, all right. 1927 rolls around and they are ready to be done with this. Um, charade. Uh, this charade. Yes. Yes. They begin divorcing in 1927. First weird fun fact about this is that Charlie Chaplin and Lita Gray's divorce papers were found in an abandoned bank in Los Angeles in oh. what what I believe was 2015. Oh, which is oh. all just heard of just, it. <laughs> um, I wonder wow. what some collector paid for those. That's pretty wild. I also love the concept of an abandoned bank. Yes. Yes. We're coming. Sure. We got to go. Leave the Chaplin papers. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a dead mall, you know, but like, yeah. that's interesting. We, we've got exactly. to take all the valuables. What yeah. about the Chaplin papers? There's no, no, no time. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turns out banks are pretty austere and sad when like there's nobody in them and they're like all <laughs> aged and decrepit. Yeah, I guess so. So no one knew about this. Uh, no one knew about the actual papers right yes. the actual 50 pages of divorce paperwork but this this was like a scandal right like the public surely was aware that something was not on the up and up correct so later they found out more details in the divorce papers i think it was more of a fun fact and yeah collector excitement when they found those but yes the public very much knew about the divorce it was a big deal in the press so this was a 9 month divorce battle and the press was talking about it the whole time. Also, divorce not smiled upon at the time. So it was <laughs> bad for for his movies. There were a lot of calls for Chaplin to pull his movies at the time, which were The Gold Rush and The Circus. And I saw this one place. Uh, apparently, apparently, Chaplin and his crew smuggled out the negatives of the these films in coffee cans 
out of California because people were so up in arms about the fact that this scandal was going on. And they continued editing the circus in a hotel room in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. Like the editing machines they had to have been using at the time must have been enormous. Like how do they even move those and get them into a hotel room without anybody noticing? Oh, that I is know. such a vibe. As someone who has edited something in a hotel in Utah, yeah. I really <laughs> yes. resonate with that so much. Oh, you really have. Look Thank at you, Rihanna, just like Charlie Chaplin. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, No, I'm walking it back. I've never been to Utah. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. Like, the the heat gets too intense socially, and we know that the guy has the backing of studios that have enormous amounts of funding and resources to pull. And this is, it's weird. It's kind of a same as it ever was situation because the, um, the, we're seeing a celebrity try to get out of the headlines for a while, right? To to stay mm. low and then to come back. And if it's if it was a celebrity scandal like nowadays, the best way to return is to divert the conversation, move the Overton window and have everybody talk about, you know, your next film or something like that. So maybe that's why they're holed up in in uh, Salt Lake so people can say, hey, remember that guy with the scandal? His movie's awesome. You should pay to see it. <laughs> Maybe also to avoid like people literally coming with pitchforks to burn the negatives, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us those also, negatives. I just want to jump back in. She was like, what, 19 when this is happening, right? Yeah. Uh, she would oh, been. yeah. I yeah. At this point. 16, they were married for three years. Oh, <laughs> man. Also, She's- I have a question. I know, I get that the public was upset about the divorce of it all. But were they, like, who were they most mad at? Were they mad at Chaplin for getting a divorce or right? At, like, Usually or for marrying a child? Like the, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, like, in the press at the time, right. typically in those kind of scandals, the woman would have gotten the brunt of the, like, negative press, it would seem. Yeah. But it seems like it was definitely falling on Chaplin if he was being pressured to pull his films. I No, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he was just such a big name at the time that I think they were so excited to have something to jump on. And the divorce itself was the problem. I didn't see as much about the age being a, a problem. Um, yeah. But I, I'd have to look into it more. So, yes, bringing up this concept of reputation and how much this affects the, the studios and the production houses more than just the people involved. One of the things that Lita threatened to do was to publicly name the five women that her husband, Charlie Chaplin, had had affairs with during the course of their marriage. So, a philanderer. Yeah, oh, no. Those we can assume would be women in the industry as well. So that would have been real bad for mm-hmm. a lot of people and a lot of places oh that gosh. want to make money. So this is now getting into how, how Lita ended up getting the settlement she got, which we'll get to in just a moment. But So that was one thing she threatened to do. Also, what they found in these papers that they found in the abandoned Los Angeles bank, which I just can't get over. That's just so mm. weird. How many banks There's are abandoned no around time. here? <laughs> <laughs> Run. <laughs> One of the things they found was she told the court that she was forced to do, quote, revolting sex acts that were illegal oh. in California in the 1920s. And Oh, okay. I'm sure that there were plenty of, it, it had to be awful being married to Charlie Chaplin. I mean, we haven't even talked about how he was 
just just a staunch perfectionist as a filmmaker, and I'm sure just just a hellion to be married to. I can only imagine. Just, you know, um, these high kept powerful over geniuses. Yeah, yeah, and he was so clumsy, <laughs> and his pants were so big. Oh. And those shoes, yeah. always twirling that There's cane so every time you go to the kitchen, oh. knocking things yeah. over. What a they had Mary in a broken dish. Red flags, red flags, Lita. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why he was filming in black and white, so you couldn't see all those red flags. Hey, hey. I'll be here all episode, guys. Good. Tip your producers. <laughs> So, so revolting sex. I mean, that sounds yes. like sodomy law type stuff, right, it, right? It would have to be, right? So, yeah. So I'm sure it was all awful, awful. So I want to put that out there before I laugh. <laughs> because um, the main thing is he asked her to do a threesome is one of the things. Oh. And with yeah. another woman. Um, but what makes me laugh about this is that because Charlie Chaplin asked her to have a threesome, Lita Gray ended up receiving the largest divorce settlement in the world. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, okay, all right. That's the silver lining. It's yeah, he had to pay her for the two surviving children, but I didn't know yes. about the settlement. What are well, we? What are we talking about? That's the thing. It was the the settlement. I'm going to talk about what was the settlement plus the trust for the the children. So it just ended up the final sum is just a hilarious amount of money. Um, (laughs) And it was the largest divorce settlement in United States history. Some, a lot of places said the world, but that just seems so ridiculous that again, I I would triple check that. But, Mm. (laughs) but it was said in many a source, she ended up with the money for her children and her own settlement ended up coming out of the divorce with $825,000 in 1927 money. So if you want to do your inflation We have to do it. All right. Drum roll and some boops, please. Here we go. So six, so, so $825,000 in uh, 1927, late 1920s is worth over $13 million today, $13,219,060.34. Pretty good. Oh my gosh. He got got. So this woman is like, I'm not doing a threesome with you. Give me $13 million. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think he even (laughs) got the threesome? Is there any, I mean, I'm not to, you know, do you think he at least got the threesome? I'm not rooting for him in this respect. I'm just wondering. Is that Sadly, clear? Does she does she deny uh, participating in this and just say that he was like trying to coerce her or something? Mm. That's a good question because in retrospect, I thought I saw that she had done it, but I also saw that she said no. So again, I'm so sorry. We'll have to triple check. I do believe that she said no to it, but you know, she talked about being coerced into things. Mm-hmm. So it could have been that, but I'm sure just being a 16-year-old married to 35-year-old Charlie Chaplin, she was oh, forced to And that wouldn't things. have been the only despicable act, right? She was referring yes, to kind no. of a whole blanket, yeah, yeah. Um, Completely. Uh, and umbrella, initial, you know, of uh, inexplicable The initial getting her pregnant at, what, 15? Yeah, and she did talk yeah. about that Good. too, actually. That was a, a big mm-hmm. part of it was, she, even at the time, this is what I mean about even at the time it was bad. She was like, he groomed me as a 15-year-old. He knew me since I was six. And then, well, it worked with me since I was 12. 
So um, this is where I'm just so grateful that we have like more rights now so that if you hook up with somebody once, you don't then have to marry them and have a very <laughs> oh, long drawn out divorce in the public yeah, eye. Thank God. Yeah. Because yeah, I've, I've, I think we've all had a, a few unlucky uh, gambles with love. Yeah. But, but there's something else that stands out here, Sienna, which is that even if, and we don't have to harp on it too much, but even if some kind of threesome occurred, I think it would be highly unlikely that she would have mentioned that or confirmed it in a public sphere uh, because of the rampant misogyny at the time. And then also, this is an abusive relationship, clearly. So a lot of the stuff that's happening is about control rather than what he right. is, mm-hmm. is or is not into. So, um, I mean, if you think about it, this is, one again, one of the most famous movie stars in the world at this time. Uh, I think he could just find, like, two fans. If that was the important part of the <laughs> right, yeah. sexual experience, he could just find yeah. two random people. Uh, but he wanted to force yeah. someone to do something they yeah. did not want to do. It mm. does certainly appear that way. That's he, really I got to ask, I mean, did this like torpedo his career? Or, I mean, I feel like we're early in his career at this point. And he went on to make other big yeah. movies. He hasn't even made The Great Dictator yet, right? Correct. Yeah, no, he he moved on to both those movies that he was making during their marriage came out and they did great. Uh, And then, yeah, it didn't it didn't stop his career at all. And he went on to get married two more times. Yes, she was his second wife. So he was married two more times after this. She was his second wife. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot to mention. Oh, my God. His Um, first wife is just tossing popcorn while she reads the news. (laughs) Hey. Uh, (laughs) But his career, no. I mean, he went on to. To keep doing doing great things. <laughs> so uh, she, though, ended up uh, apparently investing the money sort of poorly in a nightclub oh, that no. didn't do very well. But oh, no, here's, no, here's the happy ending. And this is what I love is that so she ended up working at a department store in Beverly Hills and many places I read that she really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, you know, she liked good to working love what in a shopping do. environment. Oh, thank God. She got to work. I mean, it in takes retail. a certain type, right? Like I'm sure, especially in some of those really high-end boutique type spots, that's a certain set of skills, you know, to 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 be there every day and dealing with the public, you know. So yeah. I'm sure, I also, she, I'm sure she really did. Yeah. I read one of her obituaries and um I read an obituary about her in sometime in the nineties when she passed. And it said that she was really good natured about the way that any of the things that had happened in her life. And I don't know, it makes me feel better to know that she had a happy life beyond that Um, or found, you know, I mean, people, people move on and get through, but just after having just a horrible, horrible adolescence Mm -hmm. in the public eye, she wanted something simpler, you know, something less uh, messy and, you know, than the public eye. I mean, that makes perfect sense that she would go to something more like in the private sector and kind mm-hmm. of just, you know, mm-hmm. do her thing. Yeah. Yep. And Charlie so Chaplin went on to eat many more shoes. The end. <laughs> also, guys, I have a, I have another dark note I would like to throw in. Please. And it is about Charlie Chaplin's other wives. Oh God. Ah, and yes. more importantly, their ages. Uh, yes. So it, his first wife, Mildred Harris, they were married from, I believe, 1918 to 1920. She was 16 when yeah. they uh, started dating. I was going to ask and about that. I, I was R. Ask Kelly about. vibes for sure. They got married when she believed she had become pregnant. 
So, oh, yep. Get to the third wife, though, Max. We have, we have Paulette Got Goddard. Excuse I think me. I'm that one right. Godard, Paulette perhaps? Got Goddard. Good. Goddard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I believe she was 22. Okay. So well, he's she's getting a little uh, more age appropriate, I guess, but not much. She's the uh, elder, elder of these women, uh-huh. and then his last one, Una O'Neill. Important thing: she met Chaplin in 1942. So at this point, he would have been what 53. Mm-hmm. She Oof. was born in 1925, so oh. she would have been around 17, 18 years old. Man's got a pattern. No. No question yeah, about that. He's got Max with the depressing facts. Uh, That's what I'm here for, guys. I've got a great segue for this, yeah. uh, by God. the way. Uh, here is a quote uh, from someone we'll meet uh, in just a moment about Charlie Chaplin. And this is what we call in podcasting a segue. Here we go. The quote. I'm not going to do a voice on this, but we are going to run into some voices. Just heads up. Comic genius or not, when I went to London to work with him, that being Chaplin, late in his life, he was a fearsomely cruel man, probably the most sadistic man I've ever met, an egotistical tyrant, a penny pincher. He would publicly harass people. It goes on. It goes on. The person saying this about Chaplin did work with him and does have some feelings. And that person is our next story for this episode, Marlon Brando. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. 
right? It's- oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Dang. Wow. You know, killing the segue, Ben. That was, that was awesome. I was on the edge of my seat. Incredibly Thanks, well done. Noel. That's why I skipped all those meetings this morning. I was just <laughs> on the segue. But no one talked to me. I, I got to make a segue. No one talked to me unless <laughs> you've focus. got some Brando quotes. So leave the uh, divorce papers. I need to write a segue. <laughs> and I'm I'm at the bank and I'm going. There's no time. So uh, the abandoned bank where Noel and Max and I work. Apparently, yeah, of I it's uh, our HQ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to have a HQ. If we were mm-hmm. villains, it would be a lair. But we we aim for the more heroic, anti-heroic side. Anyway, so behind the scenes, uh, on this behind the scenes episode, we had talked about this briefly when we were recording earlier. I had started out thinking, let me find a, a specific film that has a really crazy ser- set of stories behind it. Similar to Liana, your work with Wizard of Oz. So I went to Apocalypse Now. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is crazy. You know, how how wild does a film have to be to how off the rails does it have to go for there to be an award-winning documentary about how off the rails it went? Uh, and then I thought, well, let's get weirder with it. Maybe that Island of Dr. Moreau reboot. And then I started looking at these other films that had these weird stories. And I recognized the one constant in them was Mr. Marlon Brando. Uh, <laughs> I said before, you know him. You might love him now, but hang on a sec and see how you feel <laughs> at the end of the show. There's no denying the guy was uh, con- is is still widely considered one of the greatest actors of his era. He's in countless canonical works. Posthumously, he has ascended to uh, one of the newest forms of celebrity, which is being a meme. Right? <laughs> like at this point, films like The Godfather, you may not have actually seen it. But it is referenced so often in American culture that you already know what happens. You know what Mm. I mean? That's like definition of a classic. But what catches me about this guy is he was so weird. Disclaimer, (laughs) there's a little bit of like we're going to get into some more problematic things, which is why his complaints about Charlie Chaplin 
strike me as uh, dubious and hilarious, mm. Mm. Uh, and certainly not self-aware. Uh, so let's let's first talk about it. I think we we all are familiar with Apocalypse Now. That's that's how my entry point began. Apocalypse Now, based on Heart of Darkness, very oh. loosely based on Heart right. of Darkness. It's like Is someone that the, read it's the Vietnam movie. Uh huh. Okay. Yes, we're we have idiots, not yet watched it. It's on our we're list, the, but it, we haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> oh yeah, we got to we got to make it clear. This they're, they're not kidding. This is the whole point of your show is that you like haven't you're not we don't like, know anything about super movies. Duper yeah. movie literate. Got it. Happily okay. unaware, <laughs> but I did read Heart of Darkness in high school, and it ruined my month. It's upsetting yes. material. Yeah, yeah, it is very much upsetting. Um, so Apocalypse Now is about this shady military operative who was sent off the books on a covert operation to travel to hostile territory and to assassinate a legendary colonel who has lost his mind and has gone, uh, like has become a warlord in his own right slash cult leader. Oh. Hm. See, that's about it, Noel. I think that's about right. Wouldn't you say that like, he sort of has like become sort of like a weird tribal leader like on in this area? And he sort of has all these like cult members and like a compound and um, very much living kind of off the grid uh, in this, um, you know, world that he's built for himself. Yeah. And one uh, one very weird photojournalist uh, played by who was that? That's nah, not important. So it wasn't Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando plays the crazy guy. He plays Colonel Kurtz. And Apocalypse Now, which I I love as a film um, because it has some really strong monologues, Apocalypse Now was a disaster the entire time it was being filmed. It was filmed in nineteen in the nineteen seventies in the Philippines because uh, the thinking was that this will look enough like Vietnam for us to get the tone across, but. Everything, everything, everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Uh, they had to replace the protagonist with a different actor. So Martin Sheen is the one you'll see on screen now. He had a heart attack while oh doing gosh. this. Oh, Yeah. There's a scene where he's drinking a lot, right? So he is going full method and he's oh. getting wasted on camera. So much oh. so that he hurt. He smashes a mirror with his bare hand. No. He has a heart attack. Oh. And... <laughs> Yeah, and um, we all you remember can see that scene. footage too, right? I mean, that, like, that's yeah. the thing they shot. Like that, that exists. They shot. Oh my uh-huh. gosh! Yeah. Wow. So that's and you're going to see that early in. Uh, so Man, they really wanted. Yeah, yeah. This is the beginning. So they really wanted Marlon Brando to play this iconic villain. Brando hadn't. Brando was not at his best at this mm. phase in his life. Uh, he was doing this apparently just for the money. He only showed up on set for about four weeks and he got $3 million for this. Uh, and he had a list of demands which you could make if you're like a chaplain or a Brando. And they were stuff like, I am not going to work at all on the weekends. <laughs> I am not going to work past 530. And I don't really learn lines you guys, <laughs> I just kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and so we noticed uh, there was also, <laughs> yeah, and not to be sizes, but this is something that really angered uh, the directors here because when Brando finally shows up, like the last time they had seen him in the public eye, he 
physically looked very different. And that's who mm. they thought they were casting as Kurtz. Mm. Uh, this is actually why most of the shots of, of Brando's character in the film, and he shows up late in the film, the majority of those shots are him moving through this interplay of light and shadow. And actually, this is just my opinion. I think it, I think it works really well. It's awesome. Yeah, right? a lot of close-ups, a lot of tight close-ups on his like weird bald head. Um, yeah, that, that, that monologue. What, what does he say? Like the horror, the horror. The horror. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Core high school memories unlocked. <laughs> it's an interesting I mean it's a testament to Coppola too and that he was able to kind of like roll with that and make it work and now you wouldn't think of that character any other way I mean I can picture a world where this guy kind of was being sort of like worshipped as a god and just like you know served all the slaughtered you know animals that he could eat and and he gained some weight didn't really move around much he sat in like you know in a a throne made of human bones that's what I'm picturing Mm -hmm. yeah he also uh, struggled with uh, binge eating for uh, a large part of his life. Uh, this this stuff wasn't coming out of nowhere, but he was a real pill to work with. He also just decided he would do what he wanted in his scenes. The guy I mentioned who played the photojournalist, that was Dennis Hopper. And, That's right. Yeah, and they got in like fights all the time. Uh, and Hopper was saying, you know, this guy is so massively unprofessional. Uh, and then Brando eventually refuses to be on set whenever Dennis Hopper is there. So it's kind of tough <laughs> just logistically to to film this sort of stuff, you know. Uh, Hopper's big sh- time too, right? I mean, he's like he's probably throwing his weight around too. Um, he, he was a big star. Yeah. Uh, and they did kill water buffalo. Uh, like the more you learn about this, the more amazing it becomes to realize that this movie was made at all. The improvise like the main your main stars are just improvising stuff. One guy almost dies. Everybody oh is partying like they're in college. Uh <laughs> and that's not the weirdest, that's still not the weirdest behind the scenes thing. I would like to take us to the island of Dr. Moreau. Everybody yeah. knows that that story. We're talking about the um the more recent adaptation. And I just want to check, has, has anyone seen this? Noel, I think you've seen this. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it when it came up in the theaters, just like, oh, it's a movie about like spooky animal people on a creepy island. I didn't know anything about, that was probably the first time I'd ever really thought about who Marlon Brando was. So to me, he was just this big fat guy with like white grease paint all over his face and like a little bandana. I didn't know any of his classics. I was like a kid, but, um, weird movie watching it now, you know, realizing, uh, how troubled the production was, but also just what a weird movie it was. The whole thing about that, the director being a weirdo too, and lots of Mm -hmm. interesting stuff. So let's, let's dive in. So the, the recap of this, it is based on, or it's an interpretation of an adaptation of the, the famous, uh, the famous novel Island of Dr. Moreau, in mm. which you discover that another isolated madman has been up to weird shenanigans <laughs> when left really alone. Gas at this point a little bit, huh? Yeah. I, I love that they've done this. Just like, boys left alone. It gets crazy. Like, you yeah. see that with Lord of the Flies, too? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. It's so chaotic. It's not, a, it's not <laughs> an, inaccurate either, unfortunately. So... One of the first things you'll notice if you're like a if you're like a young Ben, Max, or Noel, and you're watching this is if you if you know about the island of Doctor Moreau, you'll think there are some really 
interesting aesthetic choices. If you're like many people who maybe you read the book in or you read the story in middle school or high school or something, you're going to be thinking, I don't remember <laughs> these hats. Or I don't remember the guy being slathered with sunscreen. That's what um, it was. It was that white sunscreen that just like was all over his face. I have seen I a screenshot. I don't know anything uh, yeah. about this movie besides I saw the screenshot of Brando. Yeah. Doesn't he have like a little familiar Ben? Like a little weird dude that's like sitting on his shoulder the whole time or hanging yes. out with him? Yes. And he wasn't <laughs> supposed to. Yes. He uh, is. A, okay. Yeah. It's a real guy. One of the, the world's smallest working actors at this time was oh, originally wow. cast to be a, um, to be like one of the ensemble of part human, part animal creatures that were made by Dr. Moreau. Uh, but as soon as Brando saw him, I'll give you the quote. Like, it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. He said, yeah. he he was yeah. like, is that real? Oh boy. Are you telling me there's a man in there? And then like, he literally said that. And from that point on, he's like, this guy has to be in every scene with me. We're going to dress alike. And I have some notes on how Whoa. Dr. Moreau dresses. Oh, that's um, right. It's like a mini me situation. Right? That's yes. kind of what, that, now that I'm looking at the photos, he, yes. he's, they're sitting side by side and he's, mm. they're wearing the same outfit. It's he like demanded in every that? scene. Yeah. Every wow. scene. That's uh, so weird. Yeah. He demanded it. Uh, he also hell? didn't learn his lines at Just all. Vibing. He was like, I, I don't really vibe. do lines. <laughs> and he, uh, in one case, um, it, this is a guy who in some other movies had had people he's acting opposite of. They they literally had his lines like taped <sighs> to their bodies. Oh my god! Um, in in Moreau, he was using an earpiece, and so there was literally some you know hapless script supervisor PA who got the not enviable job of having to having to go. Okay, at this point, we say we are barely reaching the things of surgery. And he's like, we're barely reaching oh. blah 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 surgery. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the director. See, like, not all of this disaster is on Marlon Brando. <laughs> a lot of it is, as well as his co-star Val Kilmer, who is an absolute oh. pill at this time. Um, but the the uh, Noel, I think you mentioned the director. The director uh, was originally Richard Stanley, and this was a passion project for him. It was his dream to make this book into a blockbuster, but. He was let go from the film about three days into production. So he had a great three days. Um, and instead, they hired a guy named John Frankenheimer, director of the Manchurian Candidate, to take over. But this uh, <laughs> this poor guy, Stanley, he was getting bullied by Val Kilmer. And... <laughs> Like Val Kimmer would just alter dialogue. He would stand, if he wasn't in a scene, he would stand behind the director, chain smoking cigarettes and <sighs> essentially talking trash about everything the director did, which is not typically the role of an actor. Um, Let's see what a catcher does, you know, to like psych out the pitch. Right, yeah. right. Hey, better, better. Um, so <laughs> this poor guy, Stanley, actually gets fired by facts. And he's, which is like a text message. Cutting edge of the time. Right. (laughs) He got future fired. Yes. Um, That's how uh, apparently Phil Collins divorced one of his wives by facts. I always thought that was an interesting little detail about that guy. So there is something else we'll notice here. If we go back to to Brando and the the kind of mini me thing that he demanded, uh, 
every day before they would begin filming, Brando and Frankenheimer, the director who lasted, would meet up in the morning and Brando would always have script changes that he was certain would make the film uh, much, much better. And Frankenheimer had just had his spirit broken at some point. And he was like, okay, fine. That's when you see things like Brando saying, I need Dr. Moreau's entire face has to be covered in white makeup. Uh, and also he needs to always be wearing a hat. Uh, and these hats are very different things. Sometimes they're like regular hats, like a sun hat you would see uh, to provide a lot of shade over the shoulders. And then other times they're things like an ice bucket. Like Marlon Brando was walking around on the set. He finds an ice bucket and he's mm. like, now this is a hat. <laughs> I have to say, though, I think it's an interesting choice, you know, like at the time. And, and you know, if you're the director, I can see that being super annoying. But like it does make the character seem more kind of insane and like, you know, but also kind of like maybe this is what a real insane mad doctor would, would do. He would, yeah. he would like have phobias about the sun and stuff. And I think the shots with him and the, and the, uh, the smaller version of him are, are interesting. Uh, and he also famously did something like that on, on the Godfather where I think it was his idea to stuff his mouth full of cotton and all that. Yes. So he kind of had a reputation for making these like wacky mavericky calls that end up working. Um, mm. I, you know, this movie is not good, um, yeah. but he, he makes some interesting choices. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's going into beyond good and evil territory, I think, after a certain yeah. threshold of it weirdness. It just sort of is, you know. Uh, it just, yeah. yeah, it just kind of exists. But, uh, but here is the, here's the rumor I heard, because I was trying to, I was trying to hunt this down. Apparently there was a method to his method acting madness here. It came out that one of the reasons Brando wanted Moreau to always be wearing these hats is because there was going to be a reveal per Brando at some point God, yes, in, in yes. the end of the film. The big, that the big a rat twist was would be like him the whole time. <laughs> that would have been so much cooler. Here's the idea, Liana. <laughs> the idea was that you were going to find out that Dr. Moreau had been doing self-experimentation and he himself was oh, part dolphin. Uh, no. Because it's... <laughs> like a blowhole in the head situation. It doesn't oh, make sense. This is a thing that exists nowhere, except I, I in the you, mind of Marlon I thought you were going to say something so interesting, <laughs> so like he'd been doing brain surgery on himself. I mean, this was still interesting. Like brain surgery, something that would be eerie, not a blowhole. <laughs> a blowhole. Oh, that's what oh, he was hiding. Right. I presumably a blowhole. But but then what? They just didn't. They went a different direction. But they still yeah. decided to humor oh, no. him. There'll with be the a blowhole. Don't head, worry, Marlon. There will Why be a, a blowhole. Yeah, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. we'll Can get to that. Yeah, we got our best guys right on it. We'll put it in post. Yeah, <laughs> blowhole prosthetic technology has come a long way, Mister Brando. But no, you're right. That was where Frankenheimer actually drew the line and said, <laughs> "Okay." Nobody talked to him about it until like the last day of shooting, and then everybody <laughs> ran like we did when we were in that bank. And, uh, we, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 and we need a better impressionist than than any of us, I think, on here to do a, the moment where Marlon Brando pitches this idea to the director. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. I couldn't possibly do it just. But yeah, I want to yeah. hear. I want to be a fly on the wall for that moment, even yeah. if it's only like a recreation. Right. And also. I, I think this will help give us some context here. Uh, one of the things we have to remember about Brando in this moment is that he did not believe in this film. He did not see it as like, you know, the next streetcar named Desire. Uh, oh. In fact, Feruza Balk, who you recognize and love from the craft, uh, had 
said in this, this was another film, by the way, Dr. Moreau was a film that was so weird. There had to be a documentary about making it. Yep. There was a box in the documentary. And she says that once upon a time, she caught him on a good day and she went to Brando and said, excuse me, Mr. Brando, I'm, I'm wondering how our characters should interact on screen or what your take is. And then he told her, darling, no one is going to watch the movie. So just relax and have a good time. Don't worry about it. And then Be went to find, girl. you know, another weird hat. Run along. Yeah, <laughs> run along. You know, it's funny. You 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 did two movies that have uh, um, productions so troubled that they have documentaries. There's one about Apocalypse Now, too, called Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. It came out in 91. I have not seen it, but I've seen clips of it. And it's got like, you know, there were all kinds of other problems on that shoot, like, you know, weather. And, and I think a lot of equipment got damaged and, you know, really just horrible kind of trials of the damned kind of stuff. Um, but that's apparently a very, very great documentary. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's worth the watch. Um, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I, I, I would, of course, you know, I would say for you all, if you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, watch Apocalypse Now first, and yeah, then maybe sure. watch the documentary. Apocalypse but, Now is actually an uh, excellent, classic, you know, iconic film. The yeah. Island of Dr. Moreau just kind of is, you know, like we said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we were talking off uh, off mic or before about the Stanley um, who kind of had a nervous breakdown, you know, and there's a document. This is all in the documentary. He was kind of like stalking the set, you know, from the 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 fort, the woods, kind of like creeping around, <laughs> watching the new director. He was out of the public eye for a long time and came out with a Nicolas Cage movie a handful of years ago, also based on kind of macabre source material called uh, The Color Out of Space, which I think is great. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope he continues making weird movies because he's obviously a real creative dude. Yeah, it's it's really awesome, and it's got some. It, we were talking about it's kind of like the third act of Nicolas Cage's career. So he's he's doing a lot of cool stuff. He's doing Mandy. He did um, Pig, which I know you love, Noel. Um, I loved it. I do want to say we are. We talked a little, little bit about this off air before we began rolling today. Um, I do feel we are ethically bound to say that, despite the funny stuff about Brando, which will will end with more funny stuff, so it's not an absolute slog. Uh, he was also a very problematic dude, and mm. he did sexually assault someone on Whoa. camera in a film, uh, Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. No. Yeah, using yeah. what? Oh uh, a, a stick of butter, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. And the director knew it was going to happen and did not stop it. And it was like a setup almost for, um, you know, the actor playing opposite him. Yes, that is correct. And no one got in trouble, which is weird. I say this all the time on different shows, but it astonishes me when you hear these stories about celebrities getting away with and, and, and you know, very well to do people, world leaders getting away with all sorts of horrible, horrific things. And then I think like, I can't get out of a library fine. You know what I mean? This is like a world I don't understand. I don't anyway. So, yes, he has done horrible things. Um he also kept... That's also a thing with directors that we see a lot, and we were kind of talking about in the last episode for this, which is mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the directors just using their actors as props and whatever, because that was such a common thing that yep. has come up in a lot of these movies that end up on the list that we're going through, like the greats list. A lot of times what the director did was not warn the actor, and mm-hmm. that's how they got the amazing reaction that's so real. And that was totally just a, a yeah. common practice of directing for the longest time, I mean, I, I hope they're doing it less now, but it has just recently come out of fashion is what it feels like. Yeah. 
or directors directors and stars just being absolute monsters in real life. I mean, Polanski is still allowed to make movies and win awards for right. them. Oh, yeah. He still gets, I think he's still, the, the French are still <laughs> shielding him from prosecution mm-hmm. here, but also like his films still get Oscar noms sometimes, you know, it's very weird. There's still very, very little accountability. Oh, 100%. Uh, but back then, even less so, Total Boys Club, like the director Bernardo Bertolucci, you know, who's an Italian director. I mean, they shot this in Europe. So, I mean, I, there probably were maybe a little less oversight even over there. And that kind of uh, tradition um, was maybe even a little more a thing in, in Europe. But absolutely right. kind of hijacking, you know, the it, these people, these, the, this woman's emotions, you know, and oh. like uh, for the sake of getting mm-hmm. like a shocking take or whatever it's pretty gross yeah it's awful he uh, he also did really crappy stuff to other uh other co-stars or other actors and scenes with him for an example he had he was filming a scene in a film in a show called the nightcomers this is apparently a bondage scene he tied the actor stephanie beecham to the bed and then he left and he ate lunch which is like I don't think that's Jesus. assault, but that's a real dick move, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's basically, a, <laughs> I, I would say that's approaching it's, yeah, assault. It's, yeah. People should have consequences. Um, he also, I, I wanted to end on some of his very weird, weird stuff. Now we've acknowledged that. Mm. Um, he got paid a ton to be in Superman, directed by Richard Daughter. And Wait, he almost wasn't Hillel. in there. What's his name? Kal-El, no, yeah. Kal-El. <laughs> I think yes. it's Kal-El, right? Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, yeah. So he was, he is briefly in the film, very briefly in the film, as the um, white-haired patrician father of the child that will go on to become Superman. Hmm. He got paid a ton for what he was doing, uh, and he also almost wasn't in it because he was, he tried to convince the director. He almost walked away when he was arguing with the director over what this character should look like. His suggestion was a green suitcase or maybe a bagel because we don't know what aliens look like. That was his life. You mean he should look like a bagel or a green (laughs) suitcase? And Superman would still be a Superman? Uh, Yeah, he gave some options, you know. He didn't want to be a dictator about it. Superman is an Adonis. His dad is a bagel. It makes total sense. (laughs) <laughs> I mean that's fun. I like. I don't not like that. You know. But, I'd watch uh, that Pixar. Everyone I, I loves a bagel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so he, he also um, <laughs> he would also do some things like he did raise awareness of injustice toward Native American communities. There's that. Yeah. Uh, he got in a fight with a baboon, uh, a <laughs> spitting fight. <laughs> he won. Did he tell that story though? Like, the, there are How do we so know? Many, that? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, Have I we think seen the baboon's was, oh, narrative? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens? He spit so he spit so well. The baboon was just shamed and like walked yeah. away. I right. just don't. And I that, don't buy it. Yeah. Baboon buy. never spat again. Right. The baboon just Retired. bowed out and walked away. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, there. The point is, there's so many weird facts here. Uh, pretty much every film Brando works on, I think through like the mid part of his career to the end is going to mm. have a bizarre mm. behind the scenes story. Cause the guy's just wiling out. Uh, but this also makes me think like in the case of Chaplin, we see a perfectionist, right? Who is a very cruel man as well. Um, but we don't see, we don't see quite the same offstage, absurdism or you know surrealness 
one of my questions after just doing a little bit of Brando facts was this. How did this guy, like, function in society? You know what I mean? You a certain point of fame where you just don't have to, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can just live in your little (laughs) bubble and, like, make a movie when you feel like it. I mean, I think he remained quite wealthy. Uh, He does seem like the kind of dude that maybe would have squandered his money Nicolas Cage style in, like, T-Rex skulls and, you know, weird uh, culty houses. But, like, I I think he probably was well off. And, I mean, you know, I know he did some of these jobs for the money. But I think he got to that level where he just had all this, you know, cachet. He could just kind of, he didn't have to be a normal person anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe this is where we we start to wrap it up today because we started exploring Brando through Chaplin. Uh, They worked together on a film called A Countess from Hong Kong in 1966. Chaplin is 77. He's directing. I can't remember which child bride he has at this point. (laughs) But uh, he... Brando has horror stories about this guy and he says he's good. He's like, he is a comic genius. I will Mm. admit that. He's like, but I watched him punch his son in the face on Christmas day. He doesn't give any of his 11 children any money. Uh, He makes people reshoot scenes over and over again and doesn't tell them how to improve. He just like, like he would have his literal sons do these scenes. He would make them do it again. And Mm. he would just keep telling them how much they sucked. Like this, (sighs) is not the fun guy you picture from those uh, Tramp movies. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, he said that he would, one day he came onto set 15 minutes late, which is actually really good for Brando later in life. Mm. Uh, he goes onto set 15 minutes late, Chaplin explodes and then humiliates him. And he says, in front of the whole cast, Chaplin berated me, embarrassing me, telling me that I had no sense of professional ethics and that I was a disgrace to our profession. And that was the time he stood up to him. And this is so, like, uh, unnecessarily dramatic. I want to see what you guys think. Uh, He told Chaplin, he said something like, very well, I am going to return to my dressing room. I will wait there for exactly 20 minutes. And if you do not arrive to apologize to me, Within that 20 minutes, then I'm leaving on the next plane out of here. And then, <laughs> then apparently Chaplin does relent and go apologize. So they they eventually finish the Wait, film, was which that? didn't do well. Wow. Brando it's just what for happens the when win. you put, like, yeah. just pitting massive egos against each other, as we are doing yes. with our tossed popcorn Matt Frederick feud, of course. I, oh yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask, oh, was that. that the baboon spitting contest he was talking about? Hey. Hey. Yeah. Oh, I also sure. have I have a little joke. I don't know if you can use this language wise, but Chaplin may have played a little tramp, but in reality, he was a big dick. Hey, that's, that's, the that's, the that's the way. That's perfect. That's the Thank way. Uh, that's thanks, everyone. Big- Thank you so much for coming back on to part two of these bizarre behind the scenes stories from the world of film. Uh, Liana. Sienna, it's been amazing. We do have a quick, can we get like a breaking news cue? We do have a quick update. All right. So uh, we have heard back from your nemesis, Mr. Frederick. (laughs) Oh, what? Okay. He says, I said, um, you once told them you were going to start a rival podcast called Caught Popcorn. Any remarks? And he said, this is correct. However, upon <laughs> further consideration, I hereby bow to their show. I won't be making Caught Popcorn. 
At which point, Noel, not to volunteer all of us, but I said, you and I could try to negotiate on his behalf. You know, like yeah, in Hamilton yeah, yeah. before the duel. We're here for it. But what about the the not follow back on social media? I think that's where the, mm. the true beef began. The true slight least, uh, in this era. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be talking to we'll be talking to Matt on our other show actually in just a <laughs> bit, so maybe we can bring it up there too. Yeah, <laughs> spread Stoke it around. The tell the whole Love podcast it. industry yeah. we have started a celebrity. We're feud. feuding. <laughs> so, Della's, where can folks find your pre-existing podcast, um, the the one that we're uh, that you're doing right now called Toss Popcorn? Our podcast, Toss Popcorn. Well, you can find it anywhere that you want to stream podcasts. Specifically, some good ones would be the iHeart Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And we are all over social media at Toss Popcorn. Matt. (laughs) Come on, dude. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, And thanks, of course, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to our ridiculous historians. Thanks to Casey Pegram, friend of the show. Noel, uh, I I know we've got more people to thank, uh, including my nemesis, Samantha McVeigh, our (laughs) nemesis, Jonathan Strickland. But I wanted to to thank you, man, because this is a two-parter that we planned in advance. And I think we all had a great time. Can we do like a power high five or we leap into the air and then it makes like a cartoon explosion effect when our hands yeah. move? We just did that through the magic of podcasting. It. I've been toying with the idea of making Max my nemesis, but he's just so damn nice. It's really hard to, I know. to get that one off the ground. Yeah. So. I mean, Noel, you're not good enough to be my nemesis. Hey, wow. here we go. Good enough. This is good. Good enough. Okay. No well, fighting in front of the company, Max. Right. Okay. All right. You know what? Maybe I uh, retreat. I retract all those nice things I just said about you, Max, and it's on, buddy. It's on. No, you and me have spent too many hours in a hot tub together to be <gasps> nemesis. Okay, spicy. Oh, that's true. Remember the hot tub times. Is that a true story? Hot tub. Yeah, we, we, we've been in a hot tub together on a couple of occasions. Matt and I knew each other in a previous life. Uh, there were others. <laughs> also, also, it's still in your Max. hot tub days. Why, why can't I go into the hot tub? You can, man. The, the virtual, we're this in is a virtual another hot feud tub right that's now. starting up. What is <laughs> a Zoom call feud. if not a virtual hot tub? That, that's oh, what we're, you know, we're all in these waters, navigating these so bubbly waters together. Um, mm. You can also find Ridiculous History on some of the social media. We have an Instagram mm-hmm. um, called at Ridiculous History. We have a Facebook group called Ridiculous Historians that you too can be a member of. Uh, you can also follow us as individual human people on the internet. I am at How Now Noel Brown exclusively on Instagram. You can get a sneak peek and maybe some spoilers for the research I'm doing on various shows, as well as my misadventures that I don't always announce in advance uh, by checking me out on Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW, uh, where I'm currently campaigning for a book it program for adults. I think more people would read if we knew you got pizza at the end. Uh, you can also find pizza me on party. Instagram. Yeah, exactly. You can also find me on Instagram at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N, named in a burst of creativity. Max Williams, the rumors are true, my friend. You have a uh, you have apparently not just a hot tub, but a Twitter account. I am resentful. That is true. That is true. I do have a Twitter account. You can find me at at ATL underscore Max Williams. We're all mostly just, you know, retweet what Ben says, occasionally comment and troll him, and a lot of stuff about sports and, of course, Star Trek. Can't troll me, bro. I'm not on Twitter. So, <laughs> I won't, and I won't get on Instagram. All right, perfect. Then Your feud is going to be hard to maintain. Me. I guess you guys will just have to catch up at the hot tub. I am, yeah. I am an outcast <laughs> on this show. We'll see you next time, folks.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.